Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, before we get started, let the listeners know why they should be listening to Politically Entertaining every week. Well, as I uh, said, definitely, I would say about the last two or three episodes, it's so much going on. And, and, you know, just to save myself some breath, it's probably going to be so much going on for a while for the foreseeable future with uh, COVID. And it's an election year. Frank and I, we started this show during an election year in 2016. Feels like ages ago now, but uh, it's just a, it's just a lot of things going on, man. Uh, we have the racial tensions going around the country still after the murder of George Floyd. Uh, as I mentioned, Trump, like it's going to be Trump and Joe Biden vying for the presidential election along with Senate and House seats being up. And then, uh, you got, like I said, COVID, man, and COVID just, COVID has affected everything, like how we travel, how we go to the store, everything. So it's just a lot going on. And as I've always said, politics is not a very fun thing to follow all the time. And so that's where we come in and we just try to shorten it up, break it down, give it to you in a more relatable manner, and, and hopefully that you enjoy it. Um we got a couple of things we want to get to today, man. Should be a fairly short episode. We'll see how it goes, folks. But uh, first thing I want to do, man, I mentioned everything that's going on. And this is something I did on the other podcast uh, I do with two of my friends. Is I just want to check on you, man. How are you? Like, I haven't seen you in person since December. We went to a basketball game together, uh, both our families. Uh, we talked, obviously, to get the show together, but... Just, just how are you doing, man? How is everything going on your side? Man, that's that's what's up, man. Thank you. Um, I think I think that's so important in this time of being able to check on your friends. Um, and, and so and so obviously we do the show, but you know people go through stuff. And so I thank you for checking. So I'm doing well. One thing I will say is I'm I'm really glad that um you guys were able to go to that game uh in December because a little bit did we know that the you know, NBA season would pretty much get shut down. Certainly, it's not for fans at this point, even if they do resume. Uh, so just be able to, you know, gather and, and share that experience was really good. Um, you know, I, I, I'll say this. We re, we moved in March. So we, um, my wife's birthday was in uh, March. We went to Puerto Rico. We had no idea this was going to happen. So we had this trip planned at the beginning of the year for her birthday. Went to uh, Puerto Rico, got back March 11th, and then everything just like shut down. And, and then we closed on the house the next day. And then we were moving. So everything, we're, we're, you know, glory to God, we have gotten moved. We've sold our other house. So, I mean, all that's happened, you know, in the last, since March. And, and this has been, talk about, the, you know, tumultuous time to be buying and selling a home. But but God made it work. And, and we're so happy that, you know, we're, we're, we're moving everything. But it's definitely been challenging. And then obviously just with the quarantine being home. Uh, more and more, uh, you know, just just revealing some of the character flaws that, you know, you, you gotta you gotta work on, right? Like revealing, the, you know, the deficiencies you have as a husband, as a father. Those are things, you know, that I'm like, man, I gotta face this because now I'm I'm having to look at it every day. So, um, but I am doing well, um, and, and so thank you for asking. And uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you how you were doing because, you know, obviously we're two parts of a whole, and it does the show doesn't work without either one of us being healthy. So. How are things on your end? Man, I appreciate it. Uh, first off, congratulations on selling your old home because we went through that where we, you know, were in a position to buy a house 
and still had to pay the mortgage on the other house. And so it's like a big relief to get rid of that old house <laughs> to free up some of that money, man. So congratulations on that. But for me, man, for the listeners, I don't know if we discussed it uh, in depth. I know I mentioned once about uh, my mom passing, but it's been it's been a it's been a fairly tough year with with the things I mentioned at the top of the show. And uh, my best friend, his wife, she passed away like uh, out of the blue. Like she was a young, healthy woman, 30 years old, and, and she's gone. And then, of course, I lost my mom about two months later. Uh, so just been pushing through that, man. Um, obviously, those are very tragic, tragic things to happen. But I have relied on just remembering the, the great times I had with my mom. And because uh, it was mostly just me and her, you know, she was she raised me pretty much by herself once her and my dad got divorced. So uh, I have a lot of great memories of her and I lean on that. I've spoken to someone professionally and I'm, I plan on doing it, you know, more frequently, uh, very soon as far as all uh, with therapy, man. But overall, I'm still blessed. I have a job. You know, we have over 40 million people that lost their jobs. I have a job. I have a home to come to every day. I don't have to worry about where my next meal is coming from. So I don't want to say all that stuff for people to be feeling sorry for me. Like those things are very tragic. And I still have my moments, you know, from time to time, uh, you know, thinking about those two people, my mom and my, my friend's wife. But um, I, I, I'm still blessed and I'm still thankful for everything God has done. And, you know, I think a lot of people, man, are just going to look back on this year Um five, ten years from now, just going to look back on this year and just really reflect on how crazy it was. Like, it's been it's been a real crazy year, but uh, I, I kind of babbled a little bit. You asked how I'm doing. I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm loving how my job is treating this COVID thing as far as giving us time off uh, so that we're not all there together at once, increasing the chances of catching it. So, Things have been fairly, fairly good, man. I, I can't really uh, complain besides the, old, the obvious that I mentioned. So that's it. Uh, I've, I have picked up some, some, some I, don't, I don't know if you call them hobbies, but I'm, I'm getting into bike riding. I did not realize how expensive bike riding. I didn't know bikes could be $3,500. I had no idea. Like the last time I bought a bike, was like for my daughter obviously it was like less than 100 but i didn't know bikes could be that much in the helmet and everything that goes into it putting it together it's crazy but me and the missus we've been shooting pool a lot more uh down in my basement and we even picked up jenga i don't know if you ever played that before man but uh <laughs> we played that and uh just trying to work out more too man just trying to work out as well that's what's up man yeah no it's it's wild. It's different. It's different. We're gonna, like you said, we're gonna look back and say it was a year that a lot of seeds were planted. So we're gonna. I want. I want us all, if you're listening to this, to look what, to watch what God is doing in the season. He set us down for a reason, and all these things are happening. Whether it be like you said, new hobbies or relationships being repaired, there, there's a reason why this is happening. And and I think one of the things to keep in mind is the stillness that we have. Sometimes we need that. And, and we had neglected that so much. And, and I'll say this. I was so tired before COVID. I didn't even realize it until I, you know, I'm, my job's in a certain position where we're like alternating work schedule. And I was like, man, I needed that rest. I didn't even realize it mentally. Like you just, 
your body can get into a routine and your mind is just gone. So uh, I just want to hope people are getting, getting, being healthy out there mentally, right? Physically, spiritually, financially, there, there's a lot, um, you know, we can get in a whole episode of you got to be ready when a crisis hits and ain't just about money. I know we talk about money and stuff like that, but if your financial, I mean, if your mental health is low or your, your, you know, spiritual health is low, those are things that get taxed quick and you'll be empty yeah, and, and, oh man, so yeah. So man, with, with, with that said, let's get into the show. Drop that beat by G- DJ Tight Mike. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now your hosts, back Frank we're, and we're Biden. We're giving you the rare back-to-back shows. Uh, we just had the interview with Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. We'll be getting to reaction to that towards the end of the show, man. Frank and I are very proud of that interview. I uh, want to ask you guys to subscribe. We're on Apple, Google Play, and Podcast, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, uh, anchor, you know, hit subscribe because I've had a couple of people that have said, yo, when are you coming out with a new episode? I'm like, we have a new episode out. Oh, I didn't know. Why didn't you tell me? I won't have to tell you if you're subscribed. If you subscribe, the episode comes right to your device right there. You listen to it as soon as we drop it. So please subscribe to uh, Politically Entertaining and leave us your feedback. A um, couple of things to get into today, Frank. Um, the first thing I want to get into is incompetent and let me tell you uh where i'm going with this and this one isn't isn't even going to be a question this is just going to be something i gotta say and i'll just see if you have any response to it but incompetent is defined as lacking the qualities needed for effective action not legally qualified unable to function properly in my opinion and we got into this a little bit you know, with your sister a couple episodes ago. But I think this administration's leadership on this COVID crisis has been incompetent. And I'll tell you why. And and for those of you that are listening, it's not even probably for the obvious reasons that you think that you're thinking. And it's probably, you know, if, if Obama was in office, I know many people say, well, you wouldn't be saying that if he was in office, there's nothing he can do about it. It's a it's a new virus. You know, people didn't know how to contain it or whatever. And, you know, whatever may be true, may or may not be true. But here's here are my issues with this administration that is dealing with it. I give him credit. He you know, he closed off, you know, the country to people in China because that's where he had heard that it originated from. And in his mind, you know, he said, OK, we're going to close off all travel from China. Not saying that's right or wrong, but I get it. Uh, I know some people felt like that was wrong and racist or whatever like that. But just tr- for a second, trying to think how he thinks, I get it. But, but here's where he falls short. You got and he. This is the leader of this country. You got him saying, "I ordered my experts to stop testing." 
if we can stop testing, then the numbers will go down. One of the most asinine things I've ever heard in my life. And it was so asinine that his handler said, oh, he was just he was just joking. He was just kidding. And it took him to come back and say, no, I, I wasn't joking. I, I mean that we need to stop testing so the numbers can go down. So that's how asinine, like the people who are looking out for his best interests are like, yo, you can't say that. That's crazy. Obviously, he was joking, but he wasn't. He wasn't joking at all. And then you have states like Florida, who's led by DeSantis. You got Arizona, Texas, who are on the verge of completely opening it back up against the majority of people saying, yo, you probably shouldn't be opening it up. That's dangerous. That's not how this should work. And now they're having to, like, reclose their states down in a lot of ways. You have this administration's health secretary saying, look, if we don't get a hold of this soon, we may never get a hold of this. These are people that he appointed in these positions in his cabinet who are, are saying the complete opposite of what he's saying. He goes out and he has he has a rally in Oklahoma City. Many people not wearing a mask. They had the people sign a waiver, but they didn't have to wear a mask, made it optional. And he has it's not the policy. It's just the leadership. You have someone that isn't taking wearing a mask seriously, saying things like we need to stop testing. So he's more concerned with getting reelected. And, and how he looks to his fan base and getting the economy going again, he's more concerned with that than with actually saving lives. And I wouldn't even have an issue if he had an actual policy and it just didn't happen to work because, yeah, it is a new virus. I get it. So if he had came out with something, tried to implement it, and it didn't work, that's one thing. He's done absolutely nothing but get on his phone and tweet about how monuments shouldn't be torn down and how he wants to lock people up for 10 years if they deface a Confederate statue. That's his focus. While 125,000 people have already died from this virus. And so that's what I mean by incompetent. He has no interest in trying to handle this other than wishing it away. And he's literally said that, a couple of times in interviews that he just thinks it'll go away. We won't even need a vaccine. That's incompetent. I feel like that causes lives because he has a lot of people that follows him. And if he would take this thing more seriously, we could get beyond what we're going through now. I don't know what else to add to that. I mean, I, I just think that when you look at, you just read the definition of competence, his his the only thing we could do is put his picture by it in the dictionary, you know, next time, you know, if there's an update to Marion Webster. <laughs> because the thing about the thing I will say from a macro larger perspective is, you know, I know people voted I mean, you know, pe people have listened to the show know that, you know, we we we're we're probably more moderate than anything, but but regardless of who you vote for, one of the things people need to realize is this. There was also a crisis in a in a controversial election that happened right. So after George Bush, George W. Bush was elected in 2000 with the Al Gore Florida recount thing, the country was very divided in 2000. I don't know if people remember that. I mean, we're about 20 years ago, so it's like half our lives ago, but the country was very divided. But then 9/11 happened, right? And regardless of what you think, George Bush handled that crisis well. He handled it well enough to where everybody kind of came together and was like, you know what, we got to deal with this. 
you know, we have an enemy, you know, we, we you know, I'm your president, I'm going to handle it. So regardless of what you think of, it, I, I guess what I'm saying is the least common denominator in, 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 in a, being a president certainly is being able to manage the country in a crisis. And Trump has fallen woefully short of that, regardless of what you think of his policy or who he's appointed. Like at the end of the day, the buck stops with him, right? It may not be his fault, but he has to take responsibility. And I think that's what people are looking at, even even if he made mistakes, right? I'm not. We're not going to get into whether or not he fully disbanded the pandemic. You know, that's being, you know, debated whether or not he disbanded it fully or reassigned people. But the point is, regardless of what was done, you are responsible. It may not be your fault, but you're. And that, the difference between being responsible and being your fault is two different things, right? Because as fathers in our homes, we're responsible for everything that our wives and our children do whether or not it's our fault, right? Like your daughter comes home and does something crazy in school. It may not be your fault, but you got to be responsible to answer what happened. And it just feels like this administration, particularly, you know, Donald Trump and Mike Pence don't want to take responsibility. It doesn't matter if it's your, it doesn't matter if it's your fault. You are the president and the vice president. Like it ends with you. So you got to own that. And that's what people, that's why I don't understand people making excuses. It's like, yeah, it may be a new virus. All these things are true. But they're still responsible, are they not? Am I responsible? Are we responsible on this podcast? No, they're responsible. They were given that role. So that part of it kind of burns me up from from a macro level of like, that was your job to manage. The least common thing to manage in the country is, a, is manage people through a crisis. Regardless of policy, regardless of anything like that, keeping people alive and safe that's what you got to be able to do. And, and that's where, like you said, incompetent, they failed. People have died because they have not taken responsibility and changed course in a way that keeps people safe. And, 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 that, and that is something that will always lay at their feet, in my opinion. Exactly. And I just want to I just want to make it clear again. Had he attempted something and it, and it didn't work, that's fine. Like, you know, it, it's something new and you don't expect everything to work. I can't think of anything he's tried. And, and when his experts, he too many times he says the opposite of what Dr. Fauci says and, and the other experts. And it's just, it's kind of maddening at times, man. But I don't want to dwell on it. I know, you know, we pick on Trump according to some people. So I'll let it be on that issue. But then there seems like there's always something. And the Washington Post just reported that Russia has been incentivizing the Taliban to kill U.S. soldiers. Now, according to their report, the administration was informed of this back in February of 2019. Two months later, in April of the same year, three of our Marines were killed, and they feel like that's like one of the specific attacks that Russia incentivized the Taliban to uh, carry out. Now, to his credit, or, or however you want to put it, Trump has said he didn't know. Uh, but there are people on the inside that said not only did he know, not only was he informed in late February, they gave an exact date. February 27th, he was brief on this matter. So for me, it's like we, we know he lies. We know he lies. Even his followers know he lied because they'll say, well, all politicians lie. So I'm not saying anything radical when I say he lies. We know he lies. But with this, it's like if you look at how he seemingly coddled Russia and Putin and hasn't like he attacks everybody. He attacks other politicians. 
He attacks anyone that says anything about him. The one person he won't go at or say anything about is Vladimir Putin. And then when you look at a report like this, you know, he said, I saw a recent interview today, actually, where he said it's a hoax made up by the media. I don't know about that. I don't know about that at all. But I will say this. It's not beyond my belief because 30 years ago, we did something very similar. We gave the Taliban weapons to fight who? The Russians. So we can't look at this as some far-fetched thing to where, oh, Russia would never do that because they know that's an act of war. No, we, we did that in the 80s. You know, that's how bin Laden and, and the Taliban got a lot of those weapons. We gave them to them to fight the Russians. So I just want to get your thoughts on this, man. Like, is it something that you think is too far-fetched? Is you know, he's got to be right sometimes. So maybe, you know, in his mind, the media is trying to make up something. Or do you think this is a legit story that could become larger? Because I think it could become larger the more we find out about it. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, we've normalized so much of his weird behavior to the point where people are fatigued when new stories of his lies come out. People are just like, I'll just let it be. But realistically, the fact that he faced an impeachment, that should not go un like I know I know the covid happened and now racial unrest is is, is everywhere. And not not that it shouldn't be right, because that could be a whole episode in itself. But what I'm saying is we can't even normalize the fact that this guy was almost impeached. Now, granted, I get I get it. They didn't do witnesses. They didn't get get enough votes. But the point is they were able to bring up an impeachment. They were able to get enough steam to even bring the sentiment to impeach because see the thing is let's just go back and say yeah there's been people presidents have been unpopular on, on on either side right barack obama was not particularly popular with conservatives certainly not a second term but they couldn't bring him up on impeachment charges same thing with say george w bush like he wasn't going to get impeached like i think that you gotta look at you can't normalize a man getting impeached and then think okay anything else after that is going to be regular like he is a liar he is somebody who regularly bends the facts and, and with regard to the taliban i mean this is an easy i mean i don't play softball but this is an easy you know this is slow pitch softball with regards to you know the taliban being incentivized to kill american soldiers why i mean sounds legit to me right like why like when the taliban you know taliban and, and american ain't been on good terms so it's like what what issue would they have with that you know so I don't I don't see and it's not like the United States and Russia are great allies. We know that right now, if Hillary Clinton was the president, and I'm not saying she's the answer because I'm not. Don't listen to this and think that Hillary Clinton's the answer. What I'm saying is Vladimir Putin would not be as comfortable around the United States if Hillary Clinton was the president just because, you know, of their of their relationship, you know, because of what was going to happen. Trump is a lapdog. Trump is a boy compared to Putin. Putin is you think about where Putin came from, his background to be a to be the president of you know Russia, which isn't you know the, like the United States as far as like the regular democracy. Like there's a, there's some there's some people that you know it's 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 a little more ruthless out there. Trump is a guy from daddy's money. Putin Putin is like that's light work. I ain't worried about Trump. He'll do whatever he wants, you know. And so from that standpoint, I don't necessarily love Joe Biden, but Joe Biden is exactly right when he's like, Trump is a gift to Vladimir Putin because. Trump is he knows he can't he can't get work do nothing with, against Putin. And and so Putin knows that and he has no problem doing whatever and saying whatever he wants because 
he's not going to get called out. So, I mean, I don't think whether or not the story is true. I mean, obviously they're going to deny it, but I think what's more frightening, as you said, is he's 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 a he's basically a boy to Putin. Like he's a boy. Our president is a boy to 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 the, to the president of the country, and that is problematic. So, first off, you mentioned impeachment, man. That. <laughs> That seems like years ago because so much has happened. I legit, until you said it, I forgot that that was even this year. That's that's how crazy this year has been. But you're right about Hillary Clinton. There are reports that Putin didn't like her, you know, during her time as Secretary of State. You know, she said some things about him and called him out on some issues. And the report is like, that is why if you believe that Russia helped you know, Trump win the election. That is why, because they couldn't stand her and they knew that she would probably be tougher on them just based on the rhetoric she used during her time as Secretary of State. Uh, but, you know, I, I think you pretty much said everything else that needed to be said, man. Um, it's, 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 it's crazy, but we'll see what else comes of it. Like I say, it's an early report and, uh, you know, we can't just automatically, even though we know he has you know, told untruths in the past. We can't just automatically call it fact because of one report, but it's, I think it's definitely worth keeping your eye on. Uh, I said this would be a short episode, and I and I meant it. Uh, we we are going to talk about the uh, interview we had with Senator James Langford because second U.S. senator to ever come on this show, so it's kind of a a big deal for us. So um, we had a lot of fun with that interview. But before we get into that and get out of here. Um, I don't know how to bring this topic up. So Van Jones, who was originally in Obama's um, administration, very short time, like maybe a month or so ago, I think he was supposed to run like the green energy or something like that. But he wound up, Obama wound up firing him over some, I think some comments he made. Uh, but ever since then, he's been like a CNN anchor, top guy, kind of, became a popular guy, you know, they, they use him on a lot of things. I think a couple of times they tried to give him his own show and, uh, he's very known on, uh, cable news media, but the daily beast reports that he helped the administration with the, uh, the justice reform executive order that Trump signed. Now, first off, I just want to let people know executive orders. How can I put this? They're not law. Like, just like uh, Trump came in and he did away with some of Obama's executive orders, like that's how they work. Like because they're not law, the next president can come in and say, OK, we're not doing that anymore and wipe their hands of it. So he, you know, made this executive order, which, you know, by all accounts, by everybody who has read it and is familiar with it, has said that it was, you know, it, it wasn't going to do anything. It was a very weak, watered down thing. It had something like, you know, police departments will report um, brutality and things like that, but it didn't require them to. It, it left it up to that police department to do it, things like that. But he signed it, and Van Jones reportedly helped him with it. And the criticism comes because, A, you know, Democrats and liberals don't want to see him really working with Trump, especially on a bill that's so weak that doesn't do anything. But, B, he went on CNN praising it praising Trump, praising the uh, executive order without telling people that he's the one that helped write it. But he's just like uh, 
in the last story we mentioned with Russia, he and, and Trump denying that he's saying that he did not have anything to do with it. So I need to put that out there. He he is saying that he did not have anything to do with it. He did not, you know, help write this executive order. But you got Jared Kushner praising him, saying you know that he's a stand-up guy, and uh, you know when his back against when his back is against the wall, he's the type of person that knows how to come out of it, and he's a very stand-up, honorable guy. Uh, so I think if it is true, you know, you have a duty to at least. If you're going to go on a network and praise it, you have a duty to at least mention your involvement. But even before all of this, a lot of people on the left were kind of upset with him because of things he said about Hillary Clinton voters. I actually kind of agree with what he said. So maybe I'll get in trouble with Hillary Clinton voters. But he said, you know, it's not the Klan member that black people need to worry about. It's the liberal Hillary Clinton voter who votes for Hillary, but then when a black man tells her to put a dog back on a leash in Central Park, she weaponizes herself, calls the police, and tries to get him arrested. I think that's very true. Listen, there are a lot of liberals that, you know, policy-wise and and, and, uh, and political-wise, they definitely are for a lot of things that minorities are for. But what Amy Cooper did in Central Park, what she tried to have happen to Christian Cooper, I think is very dangerous and it doesn't at that point it doesn't matter who you vote for it doesn't matter what party you belong to that's the type of things you're going to do that's who i'm more worried about if you're in a clan role i already know where you stand i don't need to worry about you so i i understood what he's talking about with that but other things you know are very questionable and for me personally i started taking issue with van after one of trump's stage in unions I think it was his first state of union. He got on CNN and said, today, Trump was very presidential. And I'm like, why? Because he read a speech? Like, I didn't, I thought it was like some of the weakest analysis I've ever seen. So just wanted to get your thoughts on this story about the Daily Beast, Van Jones's denial, and where you are. Because, you know, some people could say, hey, it's a great thing that he's trying to work with Trump. That's, that's what we need more of, both sides coming together. So where are you on all of this? Ooh, man, the Daily Beast don't be playing, man. Don't do nothing and don't expect it to come out. That's all I can say, right? Um, one thing I will say is I want to touch on the the um, Amy Cooper uh, thing. I, and that's very, very important to understand here because a lot of the reason why we're in this position now has nothing to do with Van Jones. I'm, I'm, I'm tangenting. I know it's going to be a short episode, so I'm going to make this short. Is because the liberal racist is so dangerous right we haven't that's not something that people have you know you have the clan but martin Luther king talked about being in chicago being in those other places and we know about the history of boston uh you know areas new england how racist they are um towards black people and so i think that it was what, what i'll give you for an interesting thought is you had rhetoric from starting with nixon continued by uh reagan and then signed into law by clinton so what i'm saying is Who's who's really hanging us? And, you know, in the end of the day, like it's funny as, as, as it is, the Democrats have signed the worst bill into law that destroyed black, the black community. Right. Like, I mean, most of most recently. So I just think that when you look at the, some of the things that white America has done, 
and 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 as and the, the the American political system, American political system has failed the African American people or Black people, whatever you want to call us. They failed us on all levels, and so honestly, you know, there, there there's a lot that has to be done, um, and a lot that we have to try to figure out how to do to organize ourselves to be a, a have more power as a voting block. Now on to Van Jones. Van Jones is an opportunist, and that's what this article just shows me through and through. Now the question you have to have to ask this question to sum it up with Van Jones: Is there a wrong way to do the right thing? Or the, not saying what he did was right, but I'm saying is there a wrong way to do what you think is the right thing? He felt somehow in his heart that doing, you know, this bill with Trump was a good thing now was it good for him and his image and what he's trying to craft right or do you think it was good for police reform i don't know but the point is i think i do i think there is a wrong way to do the right thing me personally like i think that going through uh making a deal with the devil is something you never should do now i'm not here am i getting biblical because sometimes you guys don't do that but i'm just making the straight up figurative statement don't make deals with people you don't trust or you don't you know, feel like, I mean, I, I don't know that Trump to me is a trustworthy person to negotiate in faith with and say, hey, let's do this police reform. I don't know why he thought he was the man for it, you know, why he was lulled into thinking that he can do it. And then, and then on top of that, why he was so naive is to think that it wouldn't come out that he was involved in it, especially after it was called weak sauce. Now, let's say it blew up and it did really well, then Trump will probably, and his administration would take all credit for it. But once it kind of was like, oh, it's kind of weak. It's going to leak. Hey, you know who helped with this? This black guy, Van Jones, like he should have seen that coming and certainly been prepared to deal with it. So to me, he's just an opportunist. He's a guy who got uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine. He said he's a guy who got addicted to the power of the White House, had a short stint with Obama, got lured back in by another administration. Low hanging fruit. Right. Come in, do this. You know, the article talks about his friendships with Kushner and Ivanka and Kim Ye and all that so he's all up in there it's not just this bill he's it seems like he's kind of a regular guy around there and they kind of ask for his help like he's kind of hanging out there got it you know so it's like he's just an opportunist and i is that a bad thing or a good thing i don't know it depends on how you want to live your life you know i don't i never want anybody identify me as an opportunist but if you're okay with that then i don't necessarily have a lot of criticism for him except for the bill was weak but you know, from the from, from that standpoint, own it, right? Own it that you worked on it, and um, you know, deal with deal with the fallout instead of you know, like I said, like we said before, take responsibility. You're involved in it, take responsibility. So that's pretty much all I have to say about that. But yeah, I mean, it was a it was a good article and um, certainly gave a lot of light into kind of the kind of person Van Jones is, uh, which to me he seems kind of self-serving, kind of like the president. So it's kind of like ah, you kind of see how they kind of had a, had a kindred <laughs> spirit there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I know he was trending uh, earlier this week and people were saying, you know, cancel him. I'm not at the cancel phase. Like if the man has something good to say, I'll listen. I'm not with canceling everybody that does something I don't like or says something I don't say. I think the only people I've ever canceled, probably R. Kelly. If I can, that's, that's about it right now. But um yeah, I just thought it was interesting, man, that he did that. And if this is true, you know, my thing is just, you know, just say it. But that bill was extremely, that executive order, I can't even call it a bill. That executive order is extremely weak. And to be fair, the House version that passed on police reform, it's, I don't want to call it weak. 
but it doesn't prevent uh, like the murder that happened to uh, Eric Garner, the murder that happened to Breonna Taylor. The current bill that they just passed would not prevent that. It's important for you guys to know that what they pass bans chokeholds for federal agents and uh, no knock warrants for federal agents. Federal agents did not kick in Breonna Taylor's door. That was local police. Federal agents did not choke Eric Garner. That was NYPD. So I just want to make that clear because sometimes the media doesn't point out those little nuances. Uh, before we get out of here, as you guys know, and we hope you listen to it, we had Senator Langford, Republican from Oklahoma, uh, on our show earlier this week. Got a lot of great feedback from that interview. And, you know, if it's okay with you, Frank, because I think we asked a total of six questions. So we can, if you want, just break down each question real quick. But I just want to get into the general feedback first. And, and people, he actually had people, that interview actually had some people looking up things. Like some people have said, yo, I didn't know that, you know, the, the Republican Party was viewed this way and the, and the Democratic Party used to be viewed that way not long ago. And they looked that up and they learned about Dixiecrats and all that thing, all of that stuff. They, uh, looked up some other things. They looked up Ada Fisher, which is which I think is great. Uh, so that was cool that people actually learned from the interview, man, because that's what makes us happy. You know what I'm saying? If you learn something from our show. And though most people said, well, you know, he sound good. He said a lot of great things. I'm still going to vote Democrat. And, you know, I don't think he was trying to get anyone to change their party affiliation with that one interview. But it was great that people actually listened, that they actually listened to the interview and heard what he had to say. So the first thing I want to get into. So my first question to him was about the who and, um, you know, the stereotype of Republicans, man. So is that something that you get a lot? Because you and I, we have, you know, with our workplaces and where we live, we deal with a lot of diverse people. So. Is that a common stereotype you hear about the Republican Party that they're pretty much all racist? Kind of like how my question uh, was proposed to him. And what did you think of his answer to it? I mean, I do think that is a a perception, right? Because there have been. I, th I think the biggest problem is is not that that I'm say all Republicans are racist, but there are racist people who who are prominent in their party who have you know have been like there's been the david duke types and um obviously even now you know what what's the guy richard spencer these guys who identify with the republican party who haven't really been denounced in a way that you would um you know expect or hope and, and, and so i think that that stigma carries over and then there and there's still bad blood right we're still we're still the children of parents who grew up in the civil rights movement right like my dad and mom we were born in the 50s right so they grew up in civil rights. And so my mom's from Alabama. So it's like those things, you know, resonate. And so it's like the Republican Party being associated with not, you know, like you said, even though it was a majority Republican Senate that signed everything through, just the alignment of the church, which I know I'm jumping ahead in some questions, alignment of the church with the Republican Party, and then some of the other uh, people who have been outspoken and later come out as racist or have racist comments who are very comfortable in the Republican Party have made people feel like, well, I don't want to be associated with that. There must be racist. Um, well, there's definitely racism in the Democratic Party. It's just more muted. But certainly your Bill O'Reilly's, you have a lot of outspoken personalities who people would say are, you know, at, at a minimum prejudiced. 
and they have uh, you know been riding hard front center of the Republican Party um, and so people have felt uncomfortable with that and not wanting to identify with the party because of some of the um, I wouldn't say not just the politicians but some of the people who have attached themselves to the party that the party has not denounced agreed agreed man and then I, I hit him with the second question on so during Senator Scott's speech you know he said um, you know the Democrats played politics with this particular bill and not wanting to pass the Republican version but that they wanted to be the ones to pass their version which is I mean that's true I mean, that's just completely true, as I said in the question. But I thought that, you know, the Republicans also played politics in 2016 when they held a Supreme Court seat open for 11 months. Scalia died in February. Uh, what was it? 2015, 16, 2016. And they held that seat open until the election. And until the inauguration and then Trump wound up appointing someone. Now he is correct. He's correct that if Hillary had won and gotten her appointment, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But what I would probably correct him on is that it still would be a big deal because, you know, the main argument from Republicans during that time was that, hey, Joe Biden was the one that said during the election year, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. Yeah, he did say that thing, but that Senate, that particular Senate that year still voted and confirmed a justice. So I just thought it was a completely highly political move by the Republicans. But hey, if you're a Republican, it's completely savvy because had Obama gotten his pick, that would have flipped the entire Supreme Court. Like right now it's 5-4 conservative. That would have flipped it 5-4 liberal. So I, I get why they did it. But uh, I thought I thought he still had a Fairly good answer, and pretty much in a roundabout way, he acknowledged that, yeah, we did play politics with it, but he tried to, like, water it down by saying how it wouldn't have been a big deal if Hillary got elected. So, uh, obviously, I couldn't be too uh, pushy with him, and I, I allowed that answer to go. I thought it was a decent answer. As someone that isn't in my position, that doesn't work on Capitol Hill, what did you think of the answer? And is there anything I could have pushed back a little harder with on that question? Um, first of all, before I just I answer that, I just want to say, hey, you know, great job in setting up, you know, the interview, the interviews you set up because the people haven't even had the perspective to understand these different things you're bringing up, even even for myself. So I thank you for that. Um, to answer the question, I mean, you can always try to push harder, but that doesn't mean you're going to get anything. Um, and making people defensive is generally not the way to get people to answer questions. So I felt like the way it was approached was pretty much the way you'd expect. Now, the thing would have been interesting is if Scalia had died in February of 2015, what would they have done? Because I, I uh, this is my opinion, right? I'm almost of the mindset that in Obama's second term, they weren't trying to do nothing. They didn't have nothing for him. They would have let that seat open for two years if they had to. Um, yep. And that is where you can play some madness because it happened in an election year and then you can take what Biden said. But I mean, let's be let's also be real. The, the Republicans hold hold the line better than Democrats, so that part is true also. Um, and, and so what I will say is that's why they're that's why Trump is where he is now. Even even, even though people probably are Repu who are true Republicans are like, man, I really don't want to ride with this, but they they hold the line better. You know, Democrats as soon as they don't like the candidate, they don't vote for it. 
right? Like Hillary Clinton could have won the election if people had just come out and voted, but everybody wanted to find all the warts wrong with her. There was more warts with Donald Trump than with Hillary Clinton. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. there weren't many, but what I'm saying is Republicans hold the line. They were like, man, this is our guy. This is the guy. This is the, this is the law and order president. We're going to put it in. This is what we're going to do. So I think that, you know, from that standpoint, you got to respect the Republicans from a standpoint of you want a party that holds the line. Hey, that's the party, right? The only problem is they don't up into the up, up, you know, up until it, the perception that or what they don't is not that they don't. I wouldn't even say they don't do anything with black people. I just think they don't care. I think they I'm not saying and I'm not saying like George Kanye West, George Bush, they don't care. about black people. I just think that they, it's not a demographic they need to win. So they don't put the effort in to get it. They don't need the black vote to win. So mm-hmm. they don't necessarily put the effort in. So from that standpoint, I don't necessarily know they're racist as much as they're like, hey, it's not efficient for me to go after a, a block that's 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 so solid democratic that we don't know what we can do to get them on the other side. And I, and, and, I, and, and I put the only thing I would push back on that type of thinking is why not go all in and try to. There, there was a saying, and I, I know it's going to sound crazy because I'm going to take it from Michael Irvin. I don't know if he took it from somebody else, but he said, attack a man's strength to beat him. I mean, excuse me, attack a man's weakness to beat him. Attack his strength to break him. It's like, you want to break the Democratic Party? Go get the black vote. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you want to play for keeps, you want to you want to keep winning? Like, go out there and figure out how to, what black people need and get it done. Like, we don't get anything done for us. And, 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 when, and when something is done for us, it's done spitefully through 45 telling us, well, you guys, you're living in hell. You might as well go on me. I don't want to hear that. I'm a man. I'm a man. The last thing I want is somebody coming in and telling me, well, that's as good as you're going to get. Might as well take that. It's like, hold up. I will, right? So, I, <laughs> come on. I think, I, th- I think the dilemma for them, too, is if they go after the black vote, I think their concern is do they risk alienating some of their southern, uh, I don't want to call them, Let's just say some of their southern traditional voters. So I think that's something that they consider as well. Well, one, but, one, one thing I will say to that is, if here's what I, here's what I will or I would push back even if they said that is, look how loyal the black people are to the Democratic Party, who ain't done nothing for them in 50 years. Mm-hmm. If you would move across and do something tangible and really make an effort, do, I mean. I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that we're pawns right for the picking, but what I'm saying is we're, the idea that black people just wait the Democratic Party is almost like by default because the Republicans don't really even try. We even had comments where we've had, and even in Maryland, which is a fairly progressive state, right, where, where, where I live, where there's been comments where politicians don't want to come to PG County. They'd be like, oh, it's just something they made. A, I can't remember a lady made a comment about, you know, wasn't so positive about black people in PG County. So I'm just saying there's, there's, there's this idea that we're some kind of, um, I wouldn't, I don't know the word, just like we're this stubborn, stiff necked people that don't, it's like, we know how to find out what's good. We, the Republicans have not been presenting it. Neither really have the Democrats either. They they, the, at least the Democrats are willing to even talk about our issues, which, which is why we're kind of drawn to them because the Republicans don't even address some of the issues that we have, some of the, some of the human rights, some of the social justice issues we have, they say that's political. They say that's something, you know, they, they try to obfuscate from it. And so I think that, you know, that's kind of why I asked, one of the questions I asked was like, which is fine. I think his answer was fine about the church handling it. But I also do think there's a political play in there to say, hey, 
You say you're God's party. You say you're the party of God. Then then look after God's people when we're being persecuted. So so my uh, um, my last two questions were kind of like give me questions as far as uh, asking him to explain the CARES Act and um, Ada Fisher, which just allowed him to explain who she was. Uh, so I just want to get into your next two questions, which I thought was great and which you just kind of touched on actually a little bit. But I thought he. I thought he knocked that question out the park, man. Like, I don't, I don't think you can really critique his answer on that particular question. Like, as far as he called out the church, I mean, he pretty much said, you know, they should be doing more to bring together racial tensions. And, and you know what? I want to ask what he said he always asked because I'm going to tell you up front, my answer is no. But have you had, have you ever invited someone of a different race in your house for dinner? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and the thing is, I grew up, for those who don't know, I grew up in Sarah Land, right? So Sarah Land is uh, predominantly white. So I went and I, I've had sleepovers. My first sleepover was at um, White Kid's house, just named Justin Guy. I don't know if he's still around, probably not listening to this podcast. But he, but he was a great guy. Played Street Fighter's house on Super Nintendo. That was awesome. His parents were so nice. They said, hey, you should let him sleep in your bed. So, I, you know, so I'm saying I was around people, white people that have respect. So it's like I'm on this podcast and I'm not. I know sometimes you might hear it. And I, used to, I sound harsh, but I I have many. Um, I have white friends from college who I respect. And and, and and we have these real conversations now about what's going on. So for me, it was a thing where I've always been integrated with white people, like going over to their house and them coming over to my house Um and that kind of thing. So it's not, you know, to me, it, it's, it's, it's not a big deal. It was not, it was, it was just like, they were my friends. And so, um, you know, I, I just think that, I mean, it is something that people need to consider though. It's going to be hard to have reconciliation if you don't reconcile with somebody else or the other race. Like it's going to be hard to know what that looks like because it's not going to be a news announcement on CNN, right? It's going to be, your heart changing and you realizing that the guy across the street is just like you. His kids are just like yours. And so I think that's important that we have those interactions that you have, like you said, friends, not just friends, but people that you can go to invite to your house for dinner um, and invite, stay at your house. Not, you know, like, I mean, I've had people stay at my house too, like not just for dinner. Like I've had friends come and stay at my house, right? Cause that's my friend. It goes beyond even eating dinner. You stay in the house taking a shower. So, I feel like for me, those things are um, are just how I was raised. And one of my parents just said, everybody, you know, you love who you love. You, you shoot everybody with respect. There are some things that happen, you know, in the past or some things that happen in the future that you got to deal with. But for the most part, evaluate people as you as you as you see them. And so I've always lived like that. So, um, you know, I have a, a, a handle on some of that stuff he was saying, and I fully embrace the church not being the solution. Um, you know, I was kind of pushing back. I was, what I was saying in previous about political stuff is just because I was tying it in because he is a senator and, he, and the re-election is important, right? So I'm tying that in. But but just the biblical truth of it is his answer was, there was no flaw in his answer. There, yeah. the, the church has to provide the basis for reconciliation. We can't expect it to be done through politics because you end up with what kind of what you have now, right? Like, 
you end up with this fractured way of divided way of how we look and deal with each other and 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 so the church has to drive we cannot expect the culture to drive what the church should be leading many people have said that if you talk to tony evans black pastor robert morris white pastor you hear that you hear that you hear that over and over again the the church failed this this you know and when we say fail we mean the period of civil rights the church took a step away from what was happening and decided that it wasn't their fight and that was a mistake and that has led to where we are now with some of the disunity some of the redlining see those things the reason why that's so important is because people say well, what about the church that's just religion you don't put rich religion in politics who do you think go like the church has made up of number of people right the evangelical church has very powerful voting block which means money influence that matters so if their hearts are not changed the way they vote the way they move is going to be a certain way they're going to vote to have to keep certain people out or to oppress people, whether or not they are doing it intentionally or or, or um, unintentionally or whatever, subconsciously, whatever you want to say, because they did not get involved spiritually, it's easy to play it off. It's easy to pass it off because when you don't commit to it spiritually to make that change, if you commit to something spiritually, it will manifest itself physically because we are spirit first, right? Here I am now with the, with the Sunday school lesson, but we are spirit first. So it's like it shows you the church never spiritually embraced their black brothers and sisters as equals saying man we got to go all in for them how can you love god who you have not seen but you don't love your brother who you do see every day that yeah. is the question i have for them for the and when i say for them i mean the evangelical church who still right now is not acknowledging what's going on i have friends i have i have a very good friend a guy who's almost kind of a mentor white guy 55 years old He's arguing with evangelical church members online. They're blocking him saying, we don't need to be involved. In that. That's a political thing. There is a serious problem still going on with, with how to handle this. But the senator nailed it. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm grateful that, and I made this comment to him. It's like, wow, a white man from Oklahoma came real like that? <laughs> you hey, did say that. Hey. You, he chuckled at that, too. <laughs> he did. He was like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> so... Uh, and finally, man, because I mentioned, you know, some of the feedback I've gotten. Have you got have you gotten any feedback and what has it been? I've gotten limited feedback. You know, right now I'm taking a break from social media because I just got guys working on me. So I just didn't need to be out there, especially not during this time. Um, I've been <laughs> on social media for probably like almost going on a year. Um, but I will say this. I did share it with some friends and family. They came back and said, wow, they were very impressed. They really liked it. So I thank them for listening. And, and it meant a lot because those are people that I really respect that listen to it. And so just the fact they took the time to listen to it and give the feedback, I appreciate it. But yeah, so far, everything I've gotten has been positive. All right, man. Before we go, I just want to let people know. So anytime we have a senator or like um, I, I'm probably going to get one of the uh, correspondents from CNN on here, hopefully. Uh, so anytime I have people like that on here. You know, if I'm just saying, if you thought the interview was soft or whatever, just keep in mind, I like my job and I want to keep it. So I can't afford to, uh, in my position, I can't afford to like piss off a U.S. senator. And so I did my best to try to give not even tough questions, but questions that people would like to hear the answer to and just accepted whatever his answer was. Like, I'm, I'm not Bill O'Reilly where I'm going to just 
berate you and cut you off and yell at you and, and just be ignorant about it. Like I had my question and I think from my question, you can kind of gather how I feel about the topic. I accepted his answer and which I thought the answers were pretty good. They were fairly good. There was a couple of issues I probably could have pushed back on if I was like not in the position I am, but I thought overall it was a great interview and uh, I just appreciate the feedback we've gotten, man. So hopefully we can keep it going with some more great guests. Hope you enjoyed it. I lied about this, this episode being short, but that means me and Frank was just having a good time on here because uh, the time literally just got away from us. I'm looking at it now. But uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview last week. And uh, just keep tuning in. I know we're not doing it like exactly every week like we used to. We have crazy schedules now, but we're trying to come to you as much as possible. Don't forget to subscribe and just uh, you know continue to support us. Share the link. Tell people about the show. It's an election year. It's a lot that you need to know. So just continue to check us out. Again, thank you, Byron. Thank you for everything you've done for the show. You know, it, like you mentioned, we started an election year, and to have the momentum, we've had some ups and downs, some lulls, you know, where we didn't record, but just to keep our minds sharp and just to continue to produce, have a show that we can produce that is uplifting and and and, and factual and and just provides insight. Thank you for for allowing that to happen. So as we as we're in season five, you know, glory to God. And just thank all the listeners out there. Thank you for your your reviews, your support, um, you know, sharing the podcast. We just want to continue to grow and learn. And we thank you for that opportunity. So, again, uh, we love you. Take care of yourselves out there. We'll see you guys very soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.